Before I begin the sermon, let me just uh, once again welcome you guys up here to the front. It's really nice to have younger faces to the front here, and it's our pleasure to make room for you up in the front of our sanctuary. It's also our pleasure to make room for you in our sermon series. Uh, this summer, we're doing a sermon series on the Psalms, as I think all of you know. Today, we'll take a break from that, and we will focus on the verse that these youth will be thinking about all week long in the evenings during their worship. And that is John 1, verse 38. John 1, verse 38. And what's interesting about John 1, verse 38, I don't know if they've said this to you already. In the Gospel of John, it's the very first time Jesus says anything, okay? That sentence, that theme of your week, that's the very first time that Jesus says anything in the Gospel of John. Now, we've heard, if you read the Gospel of John, there's a lot written about John before that. John, of course, starts out with that great hymn, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, etc. Okay? So lots of things, great things about Jesus, but this is the first time that Jesus speaks. And the first thing Jesus does, first words out of Jesus' mouth, is a question. It's a question for two of his disciples, probably Andrew and John, we're not sure. Question for Andrew and John but it's a question that is ultimately a question for all of you and for all of us. Let's read John 1, and I'll start at verse 35, and I'll go through verse 39, the first words of Jesus. The next day, John, John the Baptist in this case, <clears throat> was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. This is the word of the Lord. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he said, what do you want? What do you want? What is the impact of Jesus' question? What is the intention of it? What is, why does Jesus say those words? Why does he ask that question of us and of those two disciples? It's not an easy question to answer. This is one of those times where it would be really nice if we had a soundtrack of Scripture and we knew the tone of voice because that question, what do you want, when we use it, we can use it in all sorts of different ways, right? So, for instance, it could be that Jesus is annoyed, that he's walking and all of a sudden there's these two guys following him and he's like, what are these guys following for? And he turns and goes, what do you want, right? I mean, it could be we use the words that way sometimes. I don't think that's Jesus' tone of voice in this. I don't think it fits the context. It could be that when Jesus asks, what do you want? He means it in a kind of a, a may I help you sort of way. So he turns around, sees Andrew and John and says, oh, hi, um, can I help you guys with something? What do you want? Which is sort of an innocent inquiry. Well, that's possible, but I don't think that's it either. I think when Jesus asks that question, what do you want? He is aiming an arrow 
right at the soul of John and right at the soul of Andrew. He is inquiring about the deep desires of their heart. He sees those guys following him. He turns to them, looks at him with a piercing look and says, what are you guys seeking? What do you want? Now, I'm not just making that up. There's good reasons for believing that. If you read commentators, if you read books about people who study the Gospel of John, that's what they think. They think it's that third sense of what do you want. And if you know the Gospel of John at all, it fits because when Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John, he never says something light and fluffy. Everything Jesus says in the Gospel of John has weight. So it's likely that this has weight too. And also there's the Greek word that Jesus uses when he says what do you want. That word want is a Greek word named zeteo, zeteo. And it's often translated as seek, and it's the same word that you find in Matthew 6, verse 33, which I think you probably all know that verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. So that sense of seek, right, that's not some sort of passing fancy, that's not some sort of little desire, that's something deep, that's something heartfelt. So the picture we have of Jesus walking along the road, two disciples of John the Baptist, Andrew and John start following him. Jesus turns around and sees these young people, and they were probably young people, right? These guys are probably not much older than you. And he looks at them up and down, and he says, I see you're looking for something. What do you want? It's a good question, Jesus asks. It's a question about the central desires of our hearts. And if you really want to get to know a person, if you want to know what drives a person, if you want to know what moves you as an individual, what makes you do what you do, I can tell you it is your wants. It is your desires. Those are the things that move all human beings. And it's also true that if you really want to get to know another human being, if you really want to get close to someone, ask about their wants. Ask them, what do you want? What do you love in this world? What is the deepest desire of your heart? That's what it means to get to know someone. I actually went online this week, and I studied um, some things that psychologists had written about questions, the best questions if you want to get to another, know another human being, or in this case especially, if you're going out on a date, and you want to ask good questions on the date that really reveal the other person so you get to know them, these are the kinds of questions they suggest. So I got this list from a psychologist. These are actual questions they suggest. Questions like, what's the place in this world, the one place in this world, where when you're there, you feel most yourself? You feel happiest. You feel most comfortable. Here's another question. If you could choose one living person, not someone from history, but someone who's living right now, one living person who you could sit down and have dinner with, who would that person be? On a date, you should probably say the person sitting across from you. That will, that's the one you get points. Although it might be better to be truthful. Question three, they suggest. Your house containing everything you own catches fire. Your house catches on fire. After you've already rescued the people you love and the pets, you can rescue one more item from your house. What is the item that you rescue and why? Right? These are actual questions suggested by psychologists for dates and things like that. They're all a version of Jesus' question. 
All three of those questions are basically asking, just in a more specific way, what do you want? What do you want? So how about it? What do you want? What are the deepest desires of your heart? Can you even answer that question? If someone sat you down, could you answer that question? Or is that just something you kind of know is there, is it kind of churning inside you, but you're not really examining that part of your life. You're just sort of living. When Jesus says, what do you want, to Andrew and John and to us, he's asking us to pay attention to those desires. He's not satisfied with us just sort of living. He's asking us to look deep into our desires and the wants of our heart, to live an examined life. Because, believe me, if you're not paying attention to your wants, if you can't articulate them, if you can't say what it is in this world that you want, there are other people, really, really talented, creative people who are spending lots of time and millions, frankly, billions of dollars figuring out what you want and trying to shape what you want, trying to mess with your desires, trying to change them. Just to show how that's true, let's do a little exercise. And this is a, con a congregational participation exercise. Now, you LeGray people know that I never ask you to participate, ever. So today I'm asking, because it's Serve Sunday, I think you guys are more used to participation. So play along, and it's very simple. I'm gonna list a name, say a name of a person, and just raise your hand like this if you know that person. If you don't know the person, you don't have to do anything. And I think there's a good chance that most of you will not even have to raise your hand, so that's good news for many of you. <laughs> but please, raise your hand if you know this person, please, okay? Addison Ray. How many of you know that name? Come on, raise them up, raise them high, don't be afraid. All right, almost no hands back there, lots of hands up here. You gotta raise them high enough so they can see. Come on, people. Jojo Siwa. Okay, people in the back there who are raising their hands are, are um, less than 60, let's just say that. <laughs> Mr. Beast. Liza Koshy. Eh, a few less. Zach King. Okay. Emma Chamberlain. Lele Pons. Uh, Charlie D'Amelio, that's almost unanimous up here. Uh, someone called Huddy. <laughs> Huddy, yeah, thank you for that. And finally, uh, Dixie D'Amelio. Now, that exercise is very interesting. I think you all noticed that there were almost no hands out here. There was a high percentage of hands up here. Who are these strange names? So you didn't even have to participate, really. You just had to listen. Those people are all what we call influencers. Influencers. Have you heard of influencers? These are people, it's a social media universe term. These are people who are on TikTok or Instagram, and they have tens of millions of followers. 50 million, I think some of them have over 100 million followers on these platforms. And they're extremely popular with Generation Z, all right? And they're called influencers because it's all become part of, their influence is something that has become 
part of this sort of conscious program. If you're an influencer, what happens is, not only are you popular and people watch your videos, but corporations who want to sell something will pay you lots and lots and lots of money to wear their clothes, to show their stuff. These people make tons of money simply by being famous. It's a totally new thing, but it's very central to marketing nowadays. All of you are being aimed at by influencers, not the ones I mentioned, but other people. When marketers want to sell a product, they look at Instagram and TikTok scores, and they try to bring these influencers on board. This ecosystem did not exist 10 years ago. It is pervasive in the marketing world now. And, and all this to say, this is why I'm bringing it up, is tens of billions of dollars are changing hands from corporations to the people who write the algorithms on social networks to the influencers themselves, and all of it is about shaping your desires, shaping who you are becoming, shaping what you want. And the same thing's happening to you, just in different ways. Might not be through TikTok, probably not, but in other ways. There's all kinds of energies shaping those desires of our heart. And so now, in this short little 20 minutes, where I sort of have your attention, let me ask that question. While you're away from the influencers, while you're away from your screens, what do you want? Jesus looks at you, and he asks you, what do you really want? Now, why is he asking that question? Where's he going with this? Yeah, he's asking the deep desires. We said that already. But why? Why does he want to know? What will he do with those? Well, I'll tell you what he's not going to do. He's not asking so he can just grant them like some sort of fairy godmother, that you'll tell him the deep desires of your heart and Jesus will give you all those things. There's a stream of theology that sometimes talks this way. Maybe you've heard of it, health and wealth gospel. If you turn on the TV, you'll sometimes see pastors who seem to say, that if you believe, and especially if you send money, Jesus will fill your pockets, Jesus will take away all your diseases, Jesus will give you all the desires of your heart. That's not, that's not what Jesus is going to do. That's even, there's a little bit in your litany this morning, I noticed it, the, in that first paragraph that Bob read. This week you'll be considering the question Jesus asks, what do you want? Christ longs to give you your most heartfelt needs, including for what you will need for this week. Well, that's kind of true, but it's kind of not true, too. Jesus isn't here to give you the deepest desires of your hearts, and here's why not. Because the deepest desires of your heart are broken. Some of the things you desire deeply are good, but some of them are trivial. And some of them are self-destructive. That's true of human beings. We are pervaded by sin, and sin hasn't completely destroyed our wants, but it's damaged them. So some of what you want is good and some of what you want is bad. And we, you know this. Have you ever had the experience of having something you really, really wanted that you thought was going to change your life and then you got it and it wasn't what you expected? So um, for me, uh, when I was a teenager, I wanted more than anything else a television. A television. Now, I know that I'm not that old, okay? Television was pervasive when I was a kid, and I wasn't poor, but my parents were stubborn. And so when, when I was five years old, our television set died. It just died, and so this is like 1972. And my parents uh, said, no, we're not gonna get another TV. TV's bad, we're not getting one. So 
All my friends had TVs. They all had color TVs, they all had cable, and I didn't have a TV, and I wanted a TV. I wanted to watch Hockey Night in Canada. When I went to school, all the kids would be talking about the latest sitcoms, they'd be talking about Happy Days and the Fonz, and I didn't know what they were talking about. And I thought, man, if I just have a TV, everything will be great. When I was 17 years old, finally my parents caved, and they bought a new TV. A 19-inch Toshiba. The thing weighed 75 pounds. <laughs> and it was, it was beautiful. It had, it had a remote the size of a brick, okay? And when you press a button, the little LED, it had an old school red LED display would change the channels. We thought it was great. So I finally got what I wanted. Do you think that made my life infinitely better? Not really. You know, I enjoyed watching some of those shows. I mean, the A-Team and Magnum P.I., it was fun, it was diverting, but it did not increase my overall happiness. It did not make me a better person. In fact, sometimes when I spent a couple hours in front of the TV, when I was done, I felt kind of bleh. Here's the truth. If we take a good, hard look at our wants and our desires, and it's all of us, not just these kids, our wants are often too thin too small and too trivial. C.S. Lewis makes this point in a famous passage from one of his sermons. And he says, this is what Jesus thinks about your wants. This is what Jesus thinks about all our desires. Jesus finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. And by weak, he means too trivial. Our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink, and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who is content to make mud pies in the gutter because he can't imagine what is meant by a holiday at the seashore. Jesus offers us abundant life and we settle for TikTok. So when Jesus asks you what do you want, not an innocent question. In fact, it's a dangerous question. If you engage him with this question, it's a dangerous question. If you really engage him, he's going to start messing around with your wants. He's going to start renovating your wants. And some of those renovations might be a little bit painful. So there's really a couple ways you could go here. Like so many people in this world, you could continue to live the unexamined life. You could not do that deep dive inward. That's hard work, right? You could just avoid the renovation altogether, just sort of keep going, just sort of from one thing to the next, and hey, you know, I'm gonna worry about it too much. Letting things happen. Of course, then you're wide open to the influencers or whoever wants to influence you. You're gonna get tossed around by the latest trends, whoever's working on your desires. And lots of people live that way, of course. It's not a very rooted life, it's not a very meaningful life. You live this way, and this is what you see with a lot of people. You live this way, what you'll find is you end up flitting from pleasure to pleasure trying to avoid boredom. There's a lot of people who get to middle age, old age, that's what they're doing. They're using their money to flit from pleasure to pleasure to try to avoid boredom. Their desires are just pushing them around. Or you could open yourself up to Jesus. And his renovation, you could open yourself up wise, you could engage with him. 
And he would show you a different kind of life, a different kind of life, something ancient, something eternal, living water, the Holy Spirit coming in and starting to change things in you and teaching you things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Slowly, bit by bit, changing you from the inside out. You could open yourself up to the life of Jesus, which is rightly called eternal life. This second path is not easy. The first one's way easier, okay? You want easy? Take the first path. This second path is not easy. It's way more substantive, but it's not easy because some of the desires that Jesus is going to put in you are things like his love. Well, his love is not a simple love, right? It's it's a love that bleeds. When he starts to put his love inside you, you start to really care about things. You care about things so much that you start to sacrifice yourself for things. You start to love people in a way that you sit up at night worrying about them. But that's a life of substance. That's what's offered you in Christ. It's a much harder path, but it's way richer. How do you open yourself up to that second path? If that's the life that you want for yourself, how do you, how do you start down that path with Jesus? I, I want to say just a couple words about that because our passage actually gives us a clue about that. What I want to say is that if you, if you want to go down that path, it starts with relationship. It starts with a relationship with Christ, obviously, but also with his community, Christ and his people. That's what happens to these two guys here, right? When Jesus comes to them, he does not explain discipleship to them. When they meet Jesus, right? He, Jesus doesn't say, oh, hi, you want to follow me? Well, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. Uh, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be raised in three days. Eventually, I'll send my Holy Spirit. You guys are going to be sent out into the world to do a really hard mission and all this stuff. He doesn't hand them a job description of what it'll mean to follow him. He, and so they can sign on the bottom line. It's not like they get to think about it beforehand and then join. Nope. It starts with the joining. It starts with the relationship. All Jesus says is, well, they say to Jesus, all Jesus says to them is, what do you want? And they say, Master, where are you staying? We want to hang out with you. And then Jesus says, come and see. And that's it. And now they're in. And they're in the adventure. And these guys' life is going to be turned upside down. And along the way, they're going to learn what it means to follow Jesus bit by bit. But it starts with the relationship. It starts with a commitment to community. Why am I finishing with this? Why am I telling you this? Well, on a very personal level, for you, sir, participants, and for all of you, too, I want this deeper life for you. I want you to take that path. And I, I, I want you then to, to jump in the water of this, right? This joining, this relationship thing, so much of the most important things we do in this life start with joining, and we figure it out later, like swimming, right? No one can teach you to swim by talking to you. I can't give you a book on how to swim and you learn to swim. The only way you can learn to swim is by jumping in the water and feeling that the water can hold you up and feeling what it's like to move your hands through the water and how some things push you one way and how some things push you another. You've got to jump in and commit to it. And when you're in, you start to know. That's how it is with Jesus. And I'm telling you this because I want you to jump into the water this week. You're going to be asked that what do you want question in a hundred different ways. And I want you 
to engage. When the relationships are offered to you, open yourself up to these new relationships. When the worship comes, open yourself up to the worship. When the work comes, open yourself up to the work. Let him teach you to swim and transform your desires. Or, I suppose, you could hold back and continue down that easier, shallower road. But I guess the question that's facing all of you, finally, is what do you want? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come to us in love, but um, you also come to us in truth. And that you confront us like you confront Andrew and John in this passage with the truth of life. That you force us to wrestle with the depths of our souls, the things that really matter. Thank you, Lord, for asking us that hard, piercing question this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we will open ourselves up, every single person here, to the further leading of the Spirit so that the things that we want are your things and your desires. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.